Well, hello, church. It is so good to see you. Welcome to another wonderful online worship service. Let's get ready to go. But before you do, just want to give you the heads up that we're going to have communion here in a little bit. So if you want to pause me right now, you can go ahead and get some of your favorite elements uh, to take communion with and then come on back. Now that you're back, we are going to get into a sweet time of worship. Take it away, risers.
Hey, church. Well, for communion today, 
uh, I had found a passage that I thought was fitting as we've been going through the book of Exodus, and uh, it's Jesus' own words in the book of John. So he had just fed the 5,000. He had walked on water across the lake. And when he had got to the other side, the next day the crowd found him. And he said these words to him, to the crowd in John chapter six. He says this, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as we've been studying in the book of Exodus. And they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So communion is first and foremost, first and foremost, just us remembering what Jesus did. Um, obviously, a lot of times it can be quite somber as we reflect on Jesus's death, but it also is a celebration. It's a celebration because of what we read here in this passage. Whoever eats of this bread, and no, not referring to this physical bread that we're gonna eat, uh, communion doesn't in itself save us. However, this bread, whoever eats of Jesus's living bread, whoever trusts Jesus for salvation lives forever. So as we eat and we remember today, let's celebrate. Let's eat together. Let's drink and remember Jesus. Dear Lord, um, Lord, thank you that you sent Jesus. Thank you that Jesus is our living bread, um, that he paid the price. Um, thank you for the sacrifice that he made. Thank you that today we can celebrate um, because of the um, selfless, and amazing act that Jesus did for us over 2,000 years ago. Lord, we love you. We remember you. Uh, we pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, thanks for sharing in a time of communion with us. Uh, I am going to give you a couple of announcements as we move on today. And the first one is this. If you need prayer, you can go ahead and text those prayer requests to 97,000. We would love to pray for you this week. Okay, we've got a couple of things going on coming up here over the next few weeks. So uh, first of all, if you're interested in building a sack lunch for the Conejo Valley Meal Program, we're doing that this Monday. So for most of you tomorrow, if you're interested in being a part of that, please go ahead and sign up for that. We'd love to have you do it. Then a couple of things coming up uh, moving forward. Marriage Essentials. We're having this upcoming Saturday not Sunday, August 15th at 8 p.m. on Zoom. Go ahead and check that out. And then for our students, assuming all things continue moving on as they have been, our plan is to have camp the following Saturday, August 22nd. It's gonna be an all-day thing starting at 9.30 a.m. It is gonna be an amazing, amazing time. So we hope to see you guys out for that. Finally, thank you so much for how you've been giving. As you probably have noticed, we have a little bit of space to make up in the budget. We just ask that you'd prayerfully consider what your role in that could look like. There's a couple of ways to give. You can give online, via the app, or you can mail in a check. And next, here is Miss Adrian. 
Well, hey, families, I just want to say thank you so much for so many of you reaching out to me to ask me what's happening with our Awana program coming up this fall. Well, the Awana directors and I, we have been working so hard to figure out how we can have an outdoor Awana program that is safe and fun for your kids. Well, it's a top priority at ABF that we continue to minister our kids and disciple them and make sure that we are sharing the gospel of Jesus. Christ with them. Well, we know Awana is going to look differently this fall with being completely outdoors, but we just see this as an adventure and a way that we can lean into the Holy Spirit to guide us along the way. Well, with, with that being said, with all the preparation and all the plans, it is so important for us to get our kids registered. So we are opening up our registration now. And so it would be so helpful, a huge help, if you already know you're going to be registering your children or you know you're going to be a volunteer in Awana, if you would go ahead and go online to our ABF website and register yourself for your children now. It's just there's so many things for us to make sure that we are doing safely. And we just need to know how many kids that we are going to be caring for this fall season. Well, I also wanted to let you know how cool our elder team is and how much they believe in the Awana program, so much so that they want all new families and any families that have experienced any economic hardship this past season for the program to be free to, for them. And so we're just super encouraged by that. So we want this to be a ministry for everyone. Um, and Awana is going to be starting on September 15th. That's our day that we are hoping to kick off the WANA program. Well, I have just been so um, blessed this past week. I've been receiving tons and tons of pictures from all the families at ABF, just letting me know all the summer fun things that they've been involved in. So we have put together a video with all our ABF kids of the cool summer fun things. So check this out.
Well, greetings, church. Uh, so fun to see some of those highlights from the kids and see how many of you are trying to make the most out of our circumstances. And uh, good to be together. Thanks for allowing us to be into your home and just engaging in a time of worship and communion. Thank you, Josh, for leading that. Well, I want to invite you uh, for uh, just as we continue and actually concluding here this week in the series through the book of Exodus, if you could turn with me, we're in chapter, beginning at least in chapter 33 here uh, today. And uh, as you're turning there, I'm wondering if there's anyone in our audience that's ever run at such a pace that you completely forgot to stop and eat. Anyone that's just been going so hard and so fast that your day just got away from you and you're like, man, I, I completely skipped and forgot about that meal. Well, I have not had that happen, uh, but I hear of others uh, that do. And th the thing is, the way that it works is it's often this, is that your day, you're, you're, you're busy, you're going, this is what I understand of how it works. You, you keep going and you realize later after you finally slow down that you're like, man, I was really hungry. Man, I'm really thirsty. As I was thinking and trying to make sense out of kind of our COVID season, I would propose that that's what's happened to us. We're finally slowing down enough to realize how hungry and thirsty we are. We're spiritually parched for God's presence in our life. And after months of a quarantine, you begin to realize that when the things that were normally filling your time have been stripped away and you get back to some of the basics. I noticed something after a couple of months of quarantine and time uh, set away from everything, even in my own life, I noticed myself kind of getting in a little bit of a funk. I don't know if some of you have had that experience as well, where you're maybe a little bit more quiet, a little bit down, if you will. Maybe after a, a long night's sleep, you're not feeling necessarily refreshed. I was going into that and kind of a little bit of a, a mini depression, if you will. And I was doing a little bit of assess, assessment, like, God, God, what is this? What's, what's going on with me? And the more I realized, the more I dug in deep to figure this out, I realized, you know what? I'm suffering the same thing that I just described, a little bit of spiritual hunger. And I think there's really two factors that play into that, why we get into a place where we're hungry. The first one I already alluded to, the idea of just going too fast, too long. I like to think of this or describe this as adrenaline Christianity, where you lean into past connections for current living. I'll say that again, lean into past connections for current living. In other words, times in the past, maybe that you had a intimate, you're in an intimate place with God, you lean into that for your current existence, some of the things that used to carry you on. And before you realize it, you're like, man, I can't live off a meal from last year. That's one of the reasons I think we slip into a, a funk during this season. A second reason I would suggest is many of the things that occur in normal church life help us encounter God and give us life. Think about that for a second. Some of the things that we maybe take for granted when we come together and we're having good spiritual conversations, when we're together for corporate worship, when we're serving someone's needs, when we're opening up God's words with a group of like-minded believers, when we're having somebody that genuinely cares about you ask the question, hey, how are you doing? And getting a chance to verbally process that with somebody out loud, a hug, a word of encouragement, don't underestimate the 
impact of not gathering together as a church. There's a reason in Hebrews 10.25 we're told not to neglect meeting together. Online services are, are a great supplement, but they were never intended to take the place of a community, of the body of Christ, of coming together when God is, is present with those in his family. Here's the thing is the book of Exodus realizes this same thing that I'm realizing is that we're desperate for God's presence. And it's not a one-time event. It's an intentional thing that you pursue for ongoing encounters with the living God. The book of Exodus reminds us that we're designed to we're uh, 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 right out of the factory for requiring his presence. That's why Jesus himself says, without me, you can do nothing. So there's much to learn this, this uh, morning or evening, afternoon, wherever you're at from the book of Exodus about the presence of God and how important that is for a vibrant life in Jesus Christ. Let me pray before we dive into this passage. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to be together and continue exploring your word. And we are grateful for the opportunity to gather even online in the different places that you have us. But we recognize that COVID leaves us a little bit hungry, a little bit in need of you. And so we're asking for that. We're desperate for that. We want to experience your presence, even in these moments gathered around your word. We invite your Holy Spirit to meet us exactly where we're at, God. We pray that in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, well, we're going to dive in and pick up where we left off last week. You might remember where Moses was there pleading on behalf of the people because they had just done some really deep blue or stupid things. They were worshiping a golden calf. And so Moses pleads on their behalf that God would forgive them, would rescue them. And God's kindness and his grace, he responds to Moses' prayer and he chooses to relent on his plans to annihilate them all. Instead, he begins to give Moses instruction for how things are going to transpire moving forward. Look with me at verse 2 of chapter 33. This is God speaking. He says, I will send an angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, man, the Hivites and the Jebusites go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you lest I consume you on the way for you are a stiff necked people. Ooh, we'll pause there for a second. You notice what's happening. Notice the phrase where he says, I will not go up among you. It's interesting because you're starting to see this is the promises of God without the presence of God. You follow that? He's saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you this. I'm gonna give you all the things I, I promised. I'm gonna lead you to the promised land, if you will, the land of milk and honey, but it's going to be absent of me. What I am afraid of is too often that's the version of Christianity that we settle for. We like the idea of a promised land free of the consequences of sin, enjoying health and wealth while we wait for heaven, but content to proceed without any type of a relationship with God. 
One of the more sobering verses I can think of is a conversation Jesus prophesied many will have with him on the day of, uh, of judgment where they're turned away. And it says that we'll ask, we'll say, but I did this in your name. I did this in your name. And Jesus' response will be, I never knew you. Depart from me. Notice the reason for that. There's an absence of real, genuine relationship. And here's the idea that we have to be so cautious of is trying to move forward with the promises without the personal relationship. Notice that the Lord describes them. He says, you're a stiff-necked people. In other words, they're stubborn and disobedient. When the people heard this in verse four, it says, when the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned. I like that idea though. The very thought of God not going with them was withering to them. They had tasted and seen that he is good. They had experienced him for the last six months, his presence in a real and drastic way. And now they couldn't imagine having his presence absent from them moving forward. I wonder if a part of this was God just checking to see where their heart is at. My prayer for our church, as I think through this section of scripture, is that we would mourn when we don't sense his presence, that we would plead for it like Moses is about to. When our stubborn disobedience has muffled the sound of his voice, when our neglect of spiritual disciplines restrict our interactions with him, that's when we should be crying out, God, I don't want to move forward without you. I was on a bike ride just last night and I was praying that as I'm working through this, this passage every single week, I try to let these things work through my life. So I'm not just trying to tell you something. I feel like God has a, a word for me as well in this. And I was just asking God, God, I don't wanna move forward without your presence. During this season, if there's ever a time to plead for that, that would be an appropriate prayer. So that's exactly what Moses does. He pleads for God to continue to not move forward. Look in verse 15 of chapter 33. It says, and he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are, are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Again, Moses' prayer, we're about to see, influences God. He agrees to remain present with them. Being a father gives me a little bit of more perspective on this. A lot of times I wonder why, why God kind of ebbs and flows in some of these responses to prayer. Being a, a, a parent myself, I realize how hard it is when your kids are there genuinely asking for something to say no. Your, your, your heart says, all right, well, we can maybe figure out a way to make it work. Just the other day, we're maybe like you trying to limit our uh, eating out as much as possible. If there's any expense that can get uh, out of control, we've realized that's definitely the one. And so I told my, my kids, I'm like, hey guys, we'll go to In-N-Out Burger, but nobody is ordering shakes. Nobody's ordering shakes. Like we are not spending that extra money. That's like $12 when you multiply it out. Yes, I've done the math. And we're talking about that. But soon as I said it, then begins the, 
butt dad. Like anybody else get some butt dads? But dad, last time we didn't get shaved. But dad, I haven't had a dessert. All these butt dads. And before you know it, I'm ready to cave. I didn't though. I held strong, did not budge. No shakes for my kids. But here, here's the, the idea. I think about that. When you start to see it through the lens of a father, you start to realize when, when Moses is there saying, please don't leave us. Don't leave us. We're desperate for you. We may as well, you may as well just leave us put. If I'm not with you, I don't even want to go forward from here. God responds to that. God responds to that with Moses where he has a very direct ongoing connection. In fact, a little bit earlier in that chapter, you start to realize that Moses had as a direct communion with God as really anybody you can point to in Scripture. He had set up what was called the tent of meeting in verse 11 of chapter 33. It says that they interacted such to the degree as Moses was face to face with God as a man speaks to his friend. Imagine what that intimacy must have been like with God. If there was ever a flashback to the scenario of Adam and Eve, there it is. Well, that was the way that God connected with Moses moving forward. A little different though with the people of Israel wasn't quite as intimate as that based on some of their choices, even going back to the calf. Instead, the way that he chose to interact with them was exercises of obedience. And that's for us a lot of times in our life. Sometimes there's these seasons where there's intimate connection with God. And sometimes there's just seasons that he's like, hey, I'm just asking you to be faithful. I'm just asking you to keep on doing what you're supposed to be doing, and that's as much connection as you're going to have during this season. Well, for the next six chapters, in fact, from 33 on, it's really instruction on how God intended to move forward with a tabernacle that would allow for him to connect with sinful people, how God could come down and dwell with the Israelites. So the Israelites had to follow precisely every single detail of this plan. And it's kind of cool because they start to realize that obedience actually matters. Jump with me a few chapters. Really, the, those, the chapters from 33 to 39 is just instruction and in them following it. Verse 39, or chapter 39, verse 32 says, Thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meetings was finished. And the people of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so they did. So basically, for the next six months after the initial instruction, they worked doing exactly what had been described. It's interesting if you think about in Scripture how much attention is given to this tabernacle. In two chapters of the Bible, we discuss the creation of the universe in the Bible, you might not realize this, but 50 chapters are devoted to talking about the tabernacle or the temple in which God will dwell. In fact, there's more space in the Bible talking about that than any other topic. Be a fun, a fun study sometime to go through all the symbolism of all the details of the tabernacle and what would be in it, the Ark of the Covenant, the lampstand. There's so much that we could unpack. We could really do a a series on that if I wasn't afraid that you would uh, leave the church. But either way, here we see it in chapter 40 that it wasn't just the people being perfectly obedient. In chapter 40, verse 16, it says, this Moses 
did according to all that the Lord commanded him, so he did. Goes on in the chapter, every instruction given, we're told, as the Lord, he did as the Lord commanded. You can see that phrase repeated, repeated, repeated. I think it's an important lesson for us to recognize, to notice here, that obedience sets the table for his manifest presence. If God feels distant to you, even during this season, maybe one of the first questions you need to ask is how are we doing with obedience? Is there any unconfessed sin that's fogging up your God's presence receptors? Is there anything that you're supposed to be doing that he's called you to that you're not? Obedience is one of the first things when God feels distance for you to check yourself on. It also relates to the big picture of how we relate with God. In order to come to God into his presence, you could only come through the way that he's provided. A little bit later in the book of Leviticus, Aaron, who's, uh, who's Moses's brother, his two sons try to approach God coming their own way outside of God's plan and God's design. Fire immediately comes from the presence of the Lord and consumes them. God's really intense about doing exactly what he said. Well, here he decides who comes before him uh, through, the, through the tabernacle. You think about that, it's really setting the table for what's to come where Jesus himself said, hey, I, I'm, I'm coming down. I'm the new tabernacle. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In chapter 40, we see the completion of all of the plans, all the details. God says, listen, we're gonna wait for a special day to open up the grand opening of this tabernacle. We're going to do it on the one year anniversary of becoming a nation, being set free from Israel. So on that day, look in chapter 40, verse 34, this is what happens, how God responds to amplify the experience. It says, then a cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle throughout all their journeys. Whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would, Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night in the sight of all of the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Pretty cool experience here. And I, one of the positive things I would suggest from the whole COVID experience has been us getting outdoors a little bit more. Maybe that's been the case for you, maybe not. I'm not sure everybody's different, but I don't know if you've had, I saw in some of these pictures, some of the families, some of the things you've been up to, if you've had some of the jaw-dropping experiences with the outdoors. My family had a, a, a real gift of a time away a couple weeks ago. We didn't get a chance to go our usual trip to Ocean City, New Jersey. So we went to a place that I've only been one other time when I was 17 and didn't remember many details. We, we had a chance to go to Lake Tahoe for three or four days and experience that. It, to me, was one of those places that was just screaming of the glory of God. We had one particular hike that we did that somebody had recommended to us, and we ended up at the end of the hike going through all of these uh, cuts and through all these sections of hill and in between these mountains, I guess you would call them. And right at the top of this was this just 
amazing lake. It felt so good to jump in. The crystal clear water was beyond belief. I think about those experiences, little snippets of what God's glory must have looked like. Imagine if you're there, you're stuck in the desert, you're not seeing anything real exciting for days and days, and all of a sudden you set up this tabernacle that you've been working on for the last six months, and God decides to show up. God God makes himself present. I imagine jaws were dropping everywhere as a cloud came upon it, kind of led to the, the picture that we've used in this, this, uh, this particular service, this picture of just an epic cloud showing up. Imagine the response of all the people. That was the pinnacle. This was the greatest miracle of all of Exodus. If you think about what all of Exodus, that Exodus has been building towards, why did he set these people free? Why did he bring them out into the wilderness? He brought them out for relationship, that God could come and dwell amongst his people. Why is that? One, because he's crazy about us. Two, because that's what we so desperately need. I like a quote that was passed on to me from someone in the church says, the greatest miracle of Exodus in the entire Bible is how a holy God would make a way for sinful people to dwell with him. How a holy God would make a way for sinful people to dwell with him. And that's exactly what we're seeing here. It's the climax or high watermark of the book. Everything else building towards this. There's a longer, more detailed description of this exact event in Numbers chapter 9, verses 15 through 23. It goes through this because it was a huge deal. Really, up until this point, this is the greatest amount of God's glory that's been exposed to man. We're even told there, you may have caught that, that Moses wasn't even able to come amongst them, with, come within the tabernacle. Imagine the nations watching them as they're moving, as they're journeying along with this cloud that's leading them by day and fire by night, what that would have been like. It was the beginning, though, if you think about it, something that's going to play all the way until the New Testament. This is the beginning of God's restricted presence that will carry over for generations. When I say restricted presence, what does that mean? God's, yes, he's coming down and setting up camp amongst his people, but there's currently a divide because of man's sin. There's currently a separation. Eventually, this tabernacle will be converted into a permanent temple This divide is showing the divide between a holy God and an unholy people. It's interesting, the prophet Isaiah describes it. He says, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Well, eventually, as much as this was a, a dwelling place for God on earth, it wasn't his design. It wasn't his initial intent. Eventually, we see in the New Testament that the separation that was there established in the temple, I taught about it at Easter last year, was a, a huge curtain. If you remember me talking about that, 60 feet tall, 30 feet wide, four inches thick. It took 300 priests to move it. This massive, massive curtain that separated man from God. It all started back there with the very uh, initial uh, landing point of God coming to dwell with his people. But the reason that we make such a big deal about what Jesus did at Easter is what happened. 
Do you remember that? It was the, the curtain was torn from the top to the bottom. All of a sudden, the separation that had been there, Matthew 27, 50, 51 describes that the infinite debt, the separation that we had was met by an infinite, perfect God. God in an earth suit, Jesus Christ came down to rid that divide. It all leads back to Adam and Eve. It all leads back to the Exodus. All of these pointing to the condition of man, the predicament of man separated from a perfect God. But now the amazing news, Hebrew te Hebrews 10, 19 describes, says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, as Josh described earlier. I grew up uh, in a household that enjoyed watching some NBA. My dad was a huge Boston Celtics fan. That's not a that's not a appropriate thing to announce in LA, but that's what I grew up in. And we always, I, I remember watching all of these different games and hearing my dad yell at the television. And always I was like, man, how fun would it be to be at one of those games? I was always jealous of all the rich businessmen that were around the, uh, around the courtside seats. And I was like, man, what would that be like to actually be there? Well, about six years ago, I had a, a friend from the church that ended up getting some extra tickets from his company and ended up, he's like, hey, and just so you know, it has court size at courtside access. I have a couple pictures of me there uh, the, with my feet sitting on the court right next to these players. It was pretty awesome experience. I was thinking about that. Imagine for something that actually matters. Imagine for something that actually matters. Your relationship with Almighty God. That's the amazing thing is that now Jesus offers permanent access, full access, if you will. There's no longer a tent that you're looking at off in the distance. Can you imagine if in that moment, if the Israelites were invited, all right, everybody, come on in. The doors are swung wide open. Now it's full access to the presence of God through Jesus Christ. I'll tell you what, I would be ashamed if in this series I didn't talk a little bit about the gospel message and the invitation. If you've never made a decision at some point in your life to embrace the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, man, there would be no better time than the present to bend the knee, to call out and say, yes, Jesus, I accept that. I want access into the presence of God through your finished work on the cross. That can be in a simple moment as you call out to God and turn over your life to him. And here's the last thought that I'll leave us through that should, if there's anything that should bump us out of the fog that we're in during COVID is this reality, is not, not just that he gave us access, but he actually, rather than just giving it and leaving it up to us, if we embrace Jesus Christ, we're taught in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit, his spirit comes and moves in side of each one of us. He indwells the presence of his people. So we're no, we're no longer looking at a tent. We are the tent. In fact, tell somebody next to your tent not just talking about the COVID-19. I'm, I'm talking about the, uh, the tent, his presence. He says, he set up camp inside of us. And for us, that's the invitation for any time access into his presence. It would be a shame for us not to take advantage of it. Why would you go hungry? 
Why would you be thirsty? Why would you be parched with that, when that's within our reach? My prayer is coming out of the book of Exodus that we would live in that, that we would experience the, the joys that all of the chaos of our world, all the craziness that we're surrounded with right now would not steal the joy of our salvation in the presence of our Lord. Let me pray as we wrap up. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this book and the reality that you took the initiative to pursue relationship with a people that had rejected you and continue to reject you. That God, your grace pours over our rebellion, that your grace reaches out to us and invites us in. God, my prayer for us is that we would indulge in that, that we would pursue that, that we'd carve out time for that. We'd make you a priority, God. Give us wisdom, God, during this season on how to stay connected, whether it's through a conversation with a friend, whether it's time in the word, whether it's a walk out in your creation, whether it's just sitting in a car and worshiping you through song. God, we know that it takes some creativity during this stretch. And so I ask that you'd nudge us appropriately for that. We're desperate for you. We want to experience your presence. We ask for that in Jesus Christ's name, amen. Is that?
Thank you, worship team. Well, my prayer is that you experience the presence of God in real and genuine, tangible ways in the week ahead. God bless you. We'll see you soon.